0: We're so glad that y'all have joined us online for worship today, and we're positive that God has something specifically to speak just to you. We want you to know that you are always welcome here at First Baptist Azle, and that you can connect with us by going online to fbcazel.org forward slash connect. Now let's hop back into the sermon and hear what God has for us today. Amen. Open your Bibles this morning to Nehemiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 15. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15. "Every now and then I take the advice of my staff, and uh, they want me to wear this shirt. I feel like a zebra. <laughs> but it's upward football uh, uh, celebration this morning, and if you're a part of that program, or you're one of the families in that program, thank you for participating in that. We've had great attendance. In fact, yesterday morning, for example, it was so beautiful. the weather was perfect. Uh, out here. The kids had a great time. The little cheerleaders did their cheering and it was just a wonderful day. So even if you're not a part of that, you might want to socially distance, come up and and uh, watch the, the game just to see uh, what God is doing out there. All right, Nehemiah chapter 6 beginning in verse 15. In fact, this message this morning is going to be keeping in mind our our participants in Upward Football, but whether you're young or old, a male or female, athletic or not, uh, this message is also for you. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? What a great passage. I love these, uh, this story. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. When all of our enemies heard about this, All the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you today and I pray that you would help us to have understanding of these words and of this passage. Help us as we navigate through life, whether we're five years old here or 95 years old or somewhere in between. Give us wisdom and direction. Help us to win. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today's message is entitled, How to Grow a Winning Team. How to Grow a Winning Team. Now, I'm not a football coach. I don't know if you know this. I'm not particularly athletic. I was in the band. But uh, I know about teamwork. And by the way, for those of you who are in the band, you learn about teamwork just the same as football or baseball or basketball or soccer or any other game. Today, we're going to look at the life of Nehemiah just briefly and what God was able to accomplish through him. How to grow a winning team. Can somebody tell me this? What is, in in fact, it might be one of the participants of Upward uh, uh, Football. What is the goal of a game? (laughs) All right, it's to win. The, The goal of the game is to win. That's good. That's kind of a... Lesson one there, the goal of a game is to win. In fact, you might put it this way, the goal of a game is to score points, because that's how you win. And in fact, you could even be more specific, the goal of a game is to win more points than the other team wins. It's not having the best uh, team name, it's not having the best jerseys, it's not having the best players or even the most players. Uh, It's having more points than the other team when the final buzzer sounds. It's not the fanciest stadium, the most money, or whose team players are the best looking. It's the team that has the most points in the end. It's not even, and I've learned this from the Dallas Cowboys over the years. Bless their hearts, they're my team. It's not even about having more points than the other team throughout the game. (laughs) You can be way ahead. For the first, second, and third quarters, you can be way ahead when the fourth quarter starts. And somehow you blow it and you still lose the game because when the final buzzer sounds, you only win if you have more points at that moment instead of every other moment. I want you to know today, God wants you to win in life. Uh, Not so much in football or sports. God desires for you to win in the much more important arena of life. You can be sure of this. There are people who win in life, and there are people who lose in life. Not everybody wins. In fact, many people in our world live a life that is uh, on the losing team, and they end up losing in the end. But God doesn't want you to lose. He wants you to win. So today, like football, life in God's kingdom is a team sport. Uh, I want you to learn from Nehemiah this morning, and I want to give you three keys to being on a winning team in life. Now, coming to faith in Christ is something you do on, on, your, on your own with the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You don't need a team for that. But once you come to faith in Christ, like these that were baptized this morning, gave their life, or have given their life to Christ, you want to work together on a team. And so here's the first key. Working together is essential for a winning team. Working together is essential for a winning team. As we continue with our story, in fact, at the beginning, I shared with you that verse. It's kind of the the end at the beginning. I wanted you to see the the final buzzer uh, for Nehemiah. If you don't know who Nehemiah was, he lived about four or 500 years before the birth of Christ. He was an Israelite, but he did not grow up in Israel. He grew up in a foreign country like all Israelites at that time. And the reason he grew up in a foreign country, which was Babylon, instead of Israel, is because in 587 BC, a Babylonian named Nebuchadnezzar came through Israel and came to Judah, actually, and to Uh, to Jerusalem and destroyed everything. Now, God told him it was going to happen. He called his prophet, a guy named Jeremiah. And Jeremiah said to all the people, the Israelites, living there in Judah and in Jerusalem, look, if if you don't stop living the way you're living, God's going to judge you and he's going to allow this all to be destroyed. They didn't believe him. They just didn't believe him. So they kept doing whatever they wanted to do, following after other gods, and God judged them. And so in 587, Nebuchadnezzar came through, destroyed everything, the wall, the city, the the temple mound, the temple, everything was laid waste. There wasn't a single uh, house left, no buildings left, no temple, nothing, all gone. And then he took the people that were healthy and he exported all of them back to Babylon to live as a vassal state to Babylon. Babylon. Now, Nebuchadnezzar died, and he had some sons and grandsons. They were terrible leaders, and so God judged them. And in 539, uh, a guy named Cyrus came through. He was a Persian guy, came to Babylon, and it was called a bloodless coup. They actually welcomed him into Babylon, and he became their ruler. And so now you got a Persian king instead of Babylonian, and he, he, he's probably scratching his head while all those Jews are there. And so one day, in fact, one of his servants, his key servant, uh, a guy named uh, Nehemiah, who was the cupbearer. Now, the cupbearer is the guy who tasted all the food and all the the liquids before the king ate. So if you were the king of Babylon at the time, in most countries, you had a guy that sampled all your food first because somebody might poison your food and kill you. And so you don't want to die. You want your cupbearer to die. <laughs> and so the cupbearer would eat and drink some of the food, and the drink that the king had for every single meal. The king would look to see if he dies. And when he doesn't die, he knows it's safe and he'll eat it. So you got to really trust your cupbearer. And that was, that was Nehemiah. Nehemiah comes in one day and he's very sad. And the king says, uh, uh, why are you sad? What, what's up? And the king really likes Nehemiah. And Nehemiah says, well, I'll tell you, I, I'm, I'm a Hebrew. I'm, I'm not from here. And the reason I'm here and my people are here is because long ago, Nebuchadnezzar went and destroyed everything. And there's no wall around Jerusalem anymore. And I feel God leading me to lead a, people, a group of people back to rebuild the wall. The king said, okay, uh, that's fine with me. So he, he blessed him and provided for him provisions and back to Jerusalem, Nehemiah went. But when they got back there, that's when the trouble started. They started building the wall. Everything is fine until they started building the wall. By the way, in life, nobody will bother you until you start doing the right thing. (laughs) Then that's when the trouble starts. And so they had trouble from the very beginning. But they worked together as a team. And as we saw in the first verse, they finished that wall. They completely rebuilt the wall around the city in 52 days. No modern tools. No modern machinery. And they were able to build that wall, stone wall, by the way, in 52 days. You know, uh, I remember, do you remember when they built the highway from here to Lake Worth? All of our technology, and it took what, 10, 15 years? I mean, it it was was at least a decade. It was like a decade. It took forever. 52 days they built this wall. Working together is essential for a winning team. Let's look in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 12, as we continue with our story today. Then the Jews uh, who lived near them came and told us ten times over, "'Wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows.' After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all turned to the wall, each to his own work. Now, this may be the first time in the Bible where we see teamwork on this level. And you can go back further. Remember Noah, he was in a team with his sons and his daughters-in-law and his whole family. And they worked on the ark for uh, a century or more. And so that's, that's teamwork, definitely. When you do something for six weeks, that's teamwork on one level. When you do it for a century, that's, that's teamwork on a whole other level. And so they're building a boat that had never been built uh, on a scale that had never been attempted before. That was teamwork. And then we see Moses, for example, and there was teamwork there with Aaron and the Israelites. Uh, Sometimes it was a dysfunctional team, but a team nonetheless. But Nehemiah really brings it to a new level. So they go to rebuild the wall. Immediately there's tension, there's threats. And so what does he do? He he gathers all the people and they, they work as a team. Everyone to his own work. And what happened was when the people that were threatening him initially saw that they were a team, that they were united, that, that set them back. They realized, uh-oh, we're in trouble as they began to build. Now, can you imagine if any members on that team decided to quit? They went to Nehemiah and said, Nehemiah, this is stupid. We're not gonna be able to do this. Too many critics out there. I quit. Or maybe they went to Nehemiah. Maybe this might be like you and said, Nehemiah, I'm just not the stone cutter type. <laughs> I'm not the wild building type. I'm more of an ideal guy. <laughs> I'll do this job or I, everybody had to work. Or maybe, uh, Nehemiah, look, I'd, be, I'd work, but we had already scheduled vacation six months ago, and we'll be on vacation. And we'll, we'll be back in about 52 days. Can you imagine if half of them quit? The wall would never have been completed or finished. It was because they were willing to work together as a team. Now listen to me. You and I were created for relationships. And if you think that you can navigate through life alone and by yourself, you're being deceived. You need to be on a team and you're going to be on a team. You want to make sure it's the right team. Can you imagine if all the Israelites agreed with Nehemiah that a wall needed to be built, but they just refused to work together as a team? So the Johnson family over here said, you know, we're going to build a wall over here. We're going to go in that direction. And the Smith family over here says, no, we're going to build a wall over here. We're going to go in that direction. And everybody built their own wall in their own direction, and you've got all of these hundreds of little bitty walls and that, that are not joining together. No, they would all have been defeated. They had to work together as a team. It was a few years ago that I remember watching a video, and I think that this, these videos are uh, commercial. They're animated, uh, but they... Uh, and so you've probably seen these before, but they are perfect examples of what a team can do when you work together. Watch this. That was kind of mean there in the end, wasn't it? <laughs> now I know that's a little bit silly, but that's, that's what teamwork will do. I like the ants, because there's no way an ant can compete against an ant eater unless they team up together. And life is very much like that. Number one, uh, it, working together is essential for a winning team. Number two, every team member is important. Every team member is important. Look with me in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 16. This is just a few verses later. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon with the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. So you've got three levels, basically, of people, maybe four, depending on how you count them. First of all, you've got the people building the wall. Now, the people building the wall didn't hold any weapons, but they had a weapon at their side because there was a threat at any moment that they could be attacked. So they had worked with both hands, but they had a weapon on them. And then you had the people that carried the materials to the wall, and these people uh, actually held a weapon with one hand, and they carried the materials with the other hand. And so they they upgraded a little bit their weaponry or their ability to fight because they actually have a weapon already in their hand rather than at, at their side. And then you have... Half of the people which were dedicated just for the protection. They had their shields and their swords and their bows on the ready at at a moment's notice to uh, attack or defend against the enemy. Then he had a fourth guy. I like the fourth guy. I'll be that guy. I'll play a trumpet. And so you see the last sentence, but the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. So that lucky trumpet player. (laughs) But here's the thing. You got to have a trumpet player. Because when the enemy was storming forward to attack, somebody had to sound the alarm. It's a large area. And so an enemy could come in on one side of the city and the people of the other side of the city building the wall on that side would have no idea that an enemy was coming. And so you gotta have the trumpet player. They had no Facebook, they had no telephones or cell phones. Somebody had to sound the alarm. And so that was the trumpet player. So you see, and then you had had Nehemiah who was sharing the story And then you had another group of people who were the officers. These are the guys who are the architects. They're saying, put this rock here and put it in this position and you go over there and you do this. You had to have somebody coordinating all of it. And so they stood behind the workers, behind the people of Israel and and, uh, led from there. (coughs) So you see how complicated it all was and how perfectly organized it all was. And everybody had to do their part in order for it to happen. If you'd had, had a 1,000 trumpet players, it wouldn't have worked. If you had people carrying the, uh, carrying the materials and they're thinking, this is stupid, this is not fair, <coughs> we need to unionize because uh, I want to be one of the supervisors. And they're arguing with one another and nothing ever would have been accomplished. It's everybody willing to play their part. Cherry and I, and i had forgotten this until the early service, we came on the second, I believe it was the second or the third Sunday of September of 1998, which means today or next Sunday is our 22nd anniversary here at First Baptist Church. And so we've been here for a while. Yeah, we're still alive. Well, amen. <laughs> we were across the street. It was a little church at the time. And uh, but and we just got married. And you know, I've told you that story many times. But Uh, When we came here, one of the challenges that that we had was the, the people were working on their own. They were in their own groups. Everybody was on a committee, so everybody was doing things in a committee, but there wasn't a lot of ministry taking place. And so Cherry and I looked at the gifts of the church, began to strategize and pray about What God wanted us to do as a church, what could we do that bore fruit in God's kingdom? That actually made a difference, it mattered. And uh, we just, the truth is just staying busy in all those committees wasn't necessarily fruit bearing. So we wanted to bear fruit. We wanted people doing ministry with their energy and time, not just having meetings and talking about what we should do. And so that's what we began to do. And some of you who have been here all that time, you remember those days. And I'm so thankful we had people, and it's the same today, by the way. I can't do what Roxanne does. I can't do what the musicians do. I can't do what the the sound people do in the back, and they may not be able to do what they do, but everybody is doing their part. You would be stunned, and some of you wouldn't, at how many people work so hard to make one event take place, one worship service. Everybody is doing their part. Every team member is important. I saw a clip. I I don't even remember where I first saw it. It's been a little while. I don't, well, I I know I've never shown it to you. This is, and I'll go ahead and tell you, it's a pit crew uh, from a bird's eye view If you've ever been to the races or you've ever seen a race on TV or you've ever met anybody that's been to a race, (laughs) you know what a race is. You've seen cars, kids, for example, that's a race. And so the car comes into the sideline because every now and then they have to have their tires changed out. Now, they may win or lose a race based on their pit crew. And so their pit crew has to work together and do their part. And so in this video, you're going to see everybody has one part. Nobody has five parts or ten parts. Nobody does two different things. They all do one single thing, and they do it in perfect unison. It's going to happen so fast, you're going to miss it, in fact. So you're going to see it again a second time, slow down, so you can see what everybody does. I want you to notice how many different roles are being played here. Watch this clip. Did you catch that? All right, uh, tell me uh, some of the jobs that you saw. All right, there's a guy that that actually removes the tire and there's another guy that puts the tire in place. All right, there's a guy that uh, on each wheel, his job is to undo the lug nut. It looks like one big thing. And he, or or one machine that removes them all at the same time. I don't know, but it, it he, it's his job to do that. And then when the wheel goes back on, put it back on. Do it lift. Oh, yeah, the lift. All right, yeah, you got jacks. Now you couldn't see the one in the back, but you, I, I can do the math. You can see the one in the front. And so there's a guy on the front. They're the jack guys. That's all they do. They get that jack under there because nobody else can do their job until jack guy comes along. Jacks the thing up. And so they jack it up, and they're waiting for the moment that the. And if they go too quick, the wheel's not on there. That's happened, by the way. So at exactly at the right time, they lower the car down and get out of the way. What else did you see? The light. The time. Okay, there was somebody working the light. Uh, yeah. Uh, did you also see there was a guy on each side of the cockpit of the car, and they're just their job is just to hold it. I don't know why. I'm, I'm not a car guy. Does anybody know why? But they have to hold it. There's one on each side, and that's their whole job. Is they just hold everything steady, um, and? Stabilize the car or up in the air. Oh, okay. They stabilize the car, so they're just holding it there, and then they jump back at the very end when the car takes off. And so you see all of these jobs, and, and don't forget there's a driver there. Uh, you see, all of these jobs, and by the way, in the end, the driver's the one that gets all the credit. <laughs> Isn't that funny? But it takes a team. And so here's the thing. Everyone, not one of them, can you imagine if the front jack guy thought, this is stupid, I'm going on break? Right in the middle. Well, it all would everybody had to work together. Every team member is important. So if you want to win, you got to work together on a team. Number two, every team member is important. And then lastly, don't quit. Don't give up. Don't stop. Now, if you've been here at First Baptist Church very long, you've heard me say that over the years pretty regularly, annually, because Satan is always wanting you to quit. If he can just get you to stop, to give up, to give out, to stop moving forward, he's got you. He doesn't have to turn you into a murdering bank robber. He just gets you to quit. And he's got you. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't stop. That's exactly what happened with Nehemiah and his team, his people. They were tired. They were bruised. They were scratched. They were threatened. But they were determined. And they persevered. And they had victory. In Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1, we don't know who wrote this, by the way. We don't know who the author of Hebrews is. Some say it's Paul, some Barnabas. But whoever it was, he was a leader in the church, and he says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter, of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, there's a lot of theology there, and I don't have time to go through all of it, but uh, just a couple of things that you need to note. First of all, since we've been surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, in the first century, they did not have racing stadiums and cars. But they did have stadiums. They were called hippodromes, and that's where they had uh, foot races and they had the chariots. They were big, long things, not unlike stadiums today. You could hold tens of thousands of people back then, but today we've really brought it to a new level. Uh, Have as anybody here, if you've been to the Texas Motor Speedway, raise your hand. All right. Well, quite a few have been to the Texas Motor Speedway. Now, when they packed that thing out, I think capacity is like, you've been there, Mariah, like 250,000, like a quarter of a million people. I mean, you talk about a great cloud of witnesses. It's just a sea of people. It is phenomenal how many people you can get into those, those stands and those stadiums. Well, in the first century, they didn't have them that large, but they did have them large. And so the writer to the Hebrews is saying, we are surrounded by the way, and he's really referring to people who have given their life for the gospel because all of these people are in heaven. They're, 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 they're a cloud of witnesses. Because we're in front of the, these great people, he says, let us do something. He says, let us throw off everything that hinders. And do you know what that means? When I was in high school, I ran, I wasn't very good. And I, but when I ran, I would practice with these leg weights the Velcro, attached with Velcro down at the, on my ankles. They, do they still do that? Yeah. And you put the leg weights down on your ankles and you run a couple of laps with those leg weights on and then you pull those things off and that next lap is really something. You feel about the weight of a feather. I mean, you just take off. Well, here's what He's saying, You get out of the race, you don't want to be bogged down with anything. What bogged you down, he says? He says, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. He He actually says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Here's what he's saying. You're on the team. You're doing your thing. You're playing your part in life, in the kingdom of God. You're working hard. Listen to me, young people, especially listen to me. There will be people all the time that say to you, no, don't do that. That's stupid. Do this over here. This is better. This is fun. You don't have, that's a big lie. That's a myth. You don't have to follow that. And they're going to tell you if, you, if you get rid of that, you can go do this. And this we'll have a great time. And they're going to tempt you and tempt you. They're trying to bog you down. Because Satan wants to use them Get you to stop, to quit, to give up, to give in. And so the writer of the Hebrews is saying to you, I: you're in a race. Whether you realize it or not, you're in a race. And there will be a finish line in this race. And God has called you and I to run the race. And if you're going to be in the race, which you are, and you're running the race, you need to run to win it. And if you really want to win, you got to get rid of whatever is in your life that's bogging you down, that's keeping you from God, that's keeping you from your purpose in life. So he says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Perseverance is what the people had in the day of Nehemiah. They persevered. And I'm telling you, it is not easy to run the right race. You have to persevere. Secondly, he, he, and I have to notice this, he says the race that is marked out for us. Did you catch that? Did you know that there's a race that's marked out for you? There's a plan and a path for your life that God has, and God wants you on that path. Any other path, any other trail, any other road is the wrong road. And then he says this let us fix our eyes on Jesus. It was the preacher Peter Log- Logman who once shared that he ran track in high school. He actually ran relays. Now you know relays is the one where you have a baton and you, you run around the track and you hand it to the next guy and he runs around. If you if you're too slow, you lose. If you drop the baton, that's bad if you don't get the handoff right, or if you do it wrong, you'd be disqualified. Well, he ran the relays. He says this. He says, it was in my junior year, the school hired a new track coach. And at every practice, this coach would give a short talk on strategy and tactics for our next track meet. At first, we were all bored to tears with those talks. But as the season progressed, we slowly realized how valuable his planning was. I never really thought about it. You, you know, at would track meet, you just run. You run your heart out and hope you win. But there's a lot of strategy involved. A scout was sent to review the next team we would be facing. They sent out a scout every time. The scout would come back with various recommendations from what were the best lanes on the track to use, what size spikes we should wear on our shoes, how long the guy who started each race paused before uh, shooting the starting gun, etc. He said, "But the best tactic our coach ever came up with was in our sprint relays. In a relay, you had uh, you hand a baton from runner to runner, and during the handoff, the runner in front who receives the baton does not look back. So the running, uh, uh, so the runner in back who's handing off the baton yells out something, so the man in front knows to reach back and grab the baton. You understand what he's saying?" The guy in front, he's there, he's got his, he's, he's ready to go, but he doesn't, they don't look back, they wait to hear the signal, it's a verbal signal, uh, that I'm here, I got the baton, time to reach back and grab it. And the rules were, he says, that you could say anything you wanted when you were handing off the baton. Most teams would call out the name of the person in front of them, like Jack or Randy, and then Randy would reach back and take the baton. Some teams would use the name of their school, West High or Diamond High. Our relay team, he said, used the name of our high school. Well, he said it was the end of the season, and our uh, 400-yard relay team had reached the regional finals, and we were up against teams that were very fast. We knew we had no chance at all. Our coach was well aware of this, so he told us we had to use this new word, a secret word. And we were to spend half of each practice handing off the baton, yelling this new word, which we grudgingly did. So when the time came, we all went to our places and stood ready to run. The gun sounded and the runners were off. I was the last man on our team, the final leg of the race. So I watched with growing disappointment as our team fell further and further behind with each handoff. Finally, he said, it was my turn. Now, even though we were dead last, all the runners were very close to each other. No team had pulled very far ahead of another team. I started running, and my teammate Mike came up behind me and shouted our new word that the coach had insisted that we use. What was the word? Mike shouted, Stop! (laughs) I took the baton and ran as fast as I could and hit the finish line seconds later, all alone. All the other teams had done exactly as my teammate Mike had shouted, they all stopped and they did not finish the race. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) I don't know whether to be proud of that or ashamed or what. I don't know. But they could yell whatever they wanted. It's amazing how obedient we are. How, we, how easily and quickly we listen to the voices of others and the voice of temptation. Now here's the key to this in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2. Did you catch it in verse 2? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. What he's saying by that is we are running a race in life and we need to focus all of our attention on our Savior because there will all be all kinds of things to distract you until you die so that your life will mean nothing and you'll lose. But God doesn't want you to lose. He wants you to win. So here's what God did. He decided to send his one and only son, Jesus, to die for your sins and my sins so that we could win. Because of our sin in our life, those things that we do and say that are bad, the result is judgment. The result is we lose. But God doesn't want us to lose. So he sent Christ to pay the penalty for you and for me, for us, for our sins, so that we can be forgiven of our sins and so we can win in life. But you've got to allow Jesus to be your Lord. That's what these baptism candidates did today. They had confessed openly and in their hearts that Jesus was going to be the Lord of their life. That they're going to trust him. They're going to keep their eyes on him as they run the race of life. I'm telling you today, if you don't keep your eyes on Christ, you will lose in this life. A week or two ago I was driving here in the Metroplex and I hit a pothole, <clears throat> it wasn't here nasal. It was a Texas sized pothole. It wasn't just a big hole, it was a deep hole. And uh, before I knew it, my car literally bottomed out in that hole. I mean, I hit it with a thud. I hit it so hard that I thought I might have bent a rim. It really bothered me. One of my kids was in the car with me And the reason I hit the pothole, I like to think that I'm a pretty good driver because I'm a pretty good driver. (laughs) I like to drive. But what happened was I I had my phone in my hand and I was looking at I think a map because now maps are on our phone. And I only looked, I'm telling you, I only looked down a second. I only looked down a second, I never saw the pothole. I just plowed right into it. And I thought, man, I was really mad. I was mad at myself because I thought I might have messed up my sweet car. Uh, by hitting that pothole. it's, It's amazing how easily we are distracted in life. Satan wants to distract you this week. He already has plans to distract you. He knows what you like. He knows what you struggle with. Will you keep your eyes on Christ? I want you to know you need to be on the right team. And every team member is important. And God would have you know today that he is the key to you winning in life. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you today, we acknowledge that we need help. Whether we realize it or not, acknowledge it or not, we are all in a race. We're all on a team. You've called us into your kingdom to fulfill a, a purpose. And some of us are good at one thing and some are good at another and some have abilities uh, with, with one area and some abilities in another area. Some of us can do more. Some of us can do less. Some are younger and some are older. Some have particular talents. Some can sing. Some can pray. or prayer warrior. Some can teach. Some work on the security team or the music team or the multimedia team or go on mission trips or work with Operation Christmas Child or with the Christmas program or so many other things. Upward sports. God, you you have called so many different kinds of people to this place. I pray that you would help us to work together as one, just like uh, those who were working with Nehemiah. Help us to stay unified always. Help us not to become distracted. Help us to keep our eyes on Christ. Father, if there's one here this morning, and they've lost focus in life, they've been running the wrong race, Or they're just wandering around out on the track. They don't know where to go or what to do. Father, I pray today is the day that you put them on track where you want them to be. You put them in the race that you have determined for them. Help them to realize you have a purpose for them and their life and a place for their life. In your kingdom. Well, thanks for joining us today online for our worship service. We hope that you were ministered and encouraged to while you're with us. And we just want to remind you that you can connect with us online by going to fbcazel.org forward slash connect. We hope to see you again next week.